Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Crosswires. It's James here, and my guest this week is a networking expert all the way from Canada. So he's a lovely guy. Uh, he knows all about cats, both Cat Five, Cat Five E, Cat Six, Cat Seven, Cat Six A, Cat Eight. I've lost track, and also actual cats. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Cody from Mac Telecom Networks. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast today. And yes, I do love cats. I have uh, two Siamese cats. They're awesome. And then I do pull cat wire uh, for, you know, a lot of biz- different businesses. So my business, I mean, we, we do a lot of YouTube videos and then we're doing network consulting for people all over the world, uh, US, Europe, um, pretty much anywhere you could think of. I don't think there's a place that I haven't touched on. Um, but you were saying we were talking pre-show. You you've not. Re- I don't think you've actually travelled to any of these places. We're mostly remote consults, which is a wonderful yep. part of modern technology that we can do that. Yeah. So the majority of my business, I would say ninety percent of my business is remote consultations. Um, my client base primarily is in the United States, um, some in Canada, and then you know overseas. But I haven't travelled anywhere to do work besides in Canada or Ontario. Yeah. Awesome. So before we sort of start talking, uh, and today's topic obviously is going to be about networking. We're going to be looking at sort of um, consumer networks, some of the things that we all have in our home, as well as sort of those steps up into business networking. And let's just be really honest, was definitely going to be a ubiquity bias in this episode. Yeah, I would probably say that. I mean, I like you. I love ubiquity. I mean, and and I tell people on my YouTube channel, they all know that because 90% of my videos are ubiquity. Uh, I am pretty big Ubiquity fanboy, but if there is something that I don't like about them, I will voice that as well. And that's sure. definitely, you know, I've seen that in your videos. You're you're not, you're very, very honest uh, about the products. And that's great because the last thing people need is this misleading sense of, oh, something's fantastic just because it's Ubiquity. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're, uh, they're smart power plug. That's one thing that I, I don't even know if it's still up to date yet. Uh, it was rebooting people's modems quite a bit. Um, at the very beginning, even when it released to the general public, I have I don't know how well it's doing now. I think they have fixed those issues, though. I mean, they've made some interesting decisions. But before we start talking about networking, do you want to tell the people a little bit about how you got started? And of course, make sure we get those YouTube that YouTube channel and the business plugged. Yeah. So um, I guess we could start maybe from the very beginning uh, when I was about 15 years old. I'm almost 35 now. Uh, I started working in network cabling with my uncle and my grandpa. They were doing a telecommunication business, primarily doing, um, you know, uh, Nortel PBX phone systems and network cabling. From there, I moved into computer networking. Ten years later, I went back to school for computer networking, doing, um, you know, Cisco uh, certified network uh, routing and switching, and then moved on to my CCMP. Um, After that, I moved into enterprise banking doing uh, computer networking for them, data center engineering, and then uh, the last one was compute engineering. Uh, I I always wanted to run my own business, so it was a good time to start a YouTube channel while I was working for somebody else. And I started the YouTube channel. It was just kind of for fun, maybe to promote myself a bit. Then people kept reaching out to me saying, how can I hire you? And that's where the business started. So I was kind of juggling both doing a full-time job with a bank and then doing Mac Telecom Network. And that's my YouTube channel, Mac Telecom Networks. Uh, and it just kind of took off from there where I left my full-time job and just started doing Mac Telecom full-time. You know, I've, I will, I'm not just saying this because Cody's on the show, but I've, there's probably three people I will credit with learning a, a lot about Ubiquity and um, networking in general. 
and Matt's Cody, Tom Lawrence from Lawrence Systems, and Chris, is it Sherwood? That's correct, yeah. Yep, yeah, Chris Sherwood, yeah. From Crosstalk, Crosstalk Solutions. Between the three of you, your videos are always wonderful. You put out a video this week of, an, of another Unify install, and I'm like, do you know what? I wish that I had a budget to have that sort of install at home. It's a complete overkill. <laughs> uh, yeah, what? so a lot of the a, a lot of people like the physical install videos where I'm going on site, and that that's my favorite type of uh, job video as well. Like I I'd rather watch somebody physically pulling the cables, terminating, putting in the switches, the router, the access points, and cameras than watching a tutorial. Mm. The downside to that you have to get one customer. You need to get them to allow you to film on their site. And it takes a lot longer to get the job done when you're filming. I mean, in general, what would you say that mo- a lot of your customers are receptive to filming, or does it depend on the industry? Uh, it depends on the industry. Like, I have a couple places where we just can't film because you can't even have your cell phone in there. Right. So that that's I, I don't even ask because they have you know plaques everywhere saying we can't film, you can't bring your phone, you have to leave it at reception. Wow. The majority of people who I do work for see me from my YouTube. So they usually offer for me to film their place for them and they don't even want their businesses plugged at all. Um, so u- usually I ask, but if I know that the job's going to take me a long time and I'm on a short lead time, I need to get in- done in a day or two. Mm-hmm. I just won't even ask because the filming will take hours. And it's difficult to not get people in. It's difficult to not get um, screens in. And then you've got that whole nightmare of personal information because People are silly. They leave their screens unlocked. That is true. A lot of the a lot of the videos that I will do, we usually work after hours or on weekends. Um, and e- even when I'm not doing a video, I prefer that because nobody's around, and it gets makes my job a lot easier. We're not pulling cables and through drop ceiling and dropping stuff on people's desks. It, it's I I do love doing those on site videos. There was an old YouTuber, Fiber Ninja. He's yeah. I, I don't think he's doing things anymore. But that was where I kind of first started my YouTube journey, and then I started watching Tom and Chris, and that's what got me interested into doing, I guess, video production, you could call it. He really was a ninja. I mean, but, so I'll yeah. put a link to his channel because his videos are still great to watch him. Some of them are hilarious, and I guess you've made a really good point, but if you're working after hours, you don't necessarily have to worry about taking the network down because nobody's there. Whereas yeah. during, during the day, if you need to put in a new switch... And it's business hours. You can't just unplug. Oh, exactly. Exactly. So we, we try to do it as much as often after hours. And for me, it just works better. I'm not going to charge the customer more because I, and there are companies that will charge you double to work after hours. Me, it gets me in, it gets me out. I don't care if it's a, you know, after hours on a Monday or if it's a, on a Saturday, Sunday, it doesn't matter to me. If anything, I guess it makes your job easier because you don't have people getting in the way. You don't have those extra considerations. So actually it's more of a straight, you know, a straight run of getting yeah. everything done. Yeah. I, I, every, every time we were going to do a job, I tried my best to say, can we do it after hours? We're doing a job uh, tomorrow where we can't do it after hours. There's no way possible. Right. So we have to go into the job site and now people are back in the offices and we'll just have to work around them. Thank you, Cody. I mean, it's, you know, it is fascinating. I've, uh, as, as I mentioned pre-show, because of my eyesight, I, I know that I am terrible at doing any sort of network terminate, cable termination, so I just don't try. I get other people to do it. Um, I've done a few deployments, you know, in other roles, and it's it's certainly been interesting, you know, sort of balancing, because ubiquitous switches, certainly the, you know, I think the ones I've deployed have been the 24 PoE and the 48 PoE Volt 
the older version of the um, 48 PoE before it before the fancy touchscreen. Oh yeah, yeah, the Gen One, yeah, the Gen One. I think what did we get? Did we get the five? Yeah, we got the 500 watt, and I was installing that by myself. Oh I, yeah, I I very nearly dropped that. Uh, the 500 watt. Yeah, yeah, I guess if you get uh, like a, if you get used to mounting switches and the way it goes, or just finding tips and tricks, there are uh, tools that you could put in the racks that help you mount things yeah. if it's too heavy. Like holding up a 500 watt with one arm and then trying to screw in with the other, it's a little bit difficult. Oh, difficult. Yeah. And I used to do that all the time when I was working in data center, in data centers, but working with big Cisco Nexus 5000s, which are you know, very, very heavy devices. They are huge, you yeah. you usually want to have two people doing that type of yeah. stuff. Yeah, to be fair, I mean, this was not the most accessible rack either that I was working in. This was, um, you know, sort of in the corner of an office because that's the only place it could be, and it was a mess. Oh, yeah, uh, and that's typically in small businesses. They don't think about their network rack. They'll put it in closets with all of their, you know, leftover storage. There's Christmas trees in front of it or you know, things like that. And you have to work around it. It's, you know, it's a hazard, but, and they don't realize if their network goes down, well, their work stops completely. So you should really have your network room space cleared. Absolutely. And that is a really nice segue into sort of the first thing, because, you know, me, myself and you, you know, we're similar ages, a few years apart, but, you know, when we were growing up, you know, as, as younger kids, computer networks, were something that you had in business. Not many people had them at home. If you did, it was quite rudimentary. Um, I, you know, I remember doing crossover cables to yep, play yep. A, a bit of net, you know, a bit of, well, Command and Conquer as it happens between two, <laughs> between yeah, two exactly. I guess now with pretty much, you know, most people having some form of broadband internet access at home, almost everyone now has a home network. Yeah. I, I think so, and with uh, with you know everything that's happened over the two years, more people have realized that you need decent Wi-Fi to be able to operate. A lot of people have been working from home, so you've been on Zoom meetings, uh, working remote, and you need that stable internet connection. And now you have a whole big home lab group of people who, once you get into it, you start liking it, and then you're going to want to buy more and more and more gear. Absolutely. So I guess the first state, the first point to talk about is. Let's talk about those ISP-provided routers. Yes, they're not good. Yeah, so th- they're very weak on security. It's usually default everything. Um, the ones here, we usually just replace. Like, depends on budget. We'll replace it with, if we're, I like Ubiquity. Mm-hmm. We'll put in a USG, something something small that's not overly expensive. Yep. Or we'll put in a TP-Link Amata router for a home. Nice. And it works perfectly fine. And then you add a couple access points and you have whole home Wi-Fi. It's really nice. And these ISP-provided routers, they're typically trying to do far too much for a box of that size with the resources of that size. So they will be doing Wi-Fi. They will be doing actual routing. Uh, a lot of them will be the modem as well, and they will be a switch. Yeah, exactly. So they, they're kind of an... And, and there's a lot of home network devices, like um, the UDMs, right, or the UDRs that are all built in one, but they do a lot more and they provide security. Uh, with your ISP router modem, whatever you call it, it doesn't support VLANs, doesn't have firewall rules. The Wi-Fi seems fast because they bump everything to high. 
They put the power on high, they put the channel width on 160 so that you're getting a high throughput, but it's not stable. And if you live in any sort of crowded area, you know, I live in a block of flats and, you know, a lot of my friends here do or, you know, live in a very crowded sort of suburban area. You've got to think that everybody else has Wi-Fi as well. Um, and it's going to interfere if you've got channels bumping into each other. There's only so many Wi-Fi channels that you can do. Now, my biggest pet peeve recently, I was helping someone out and um, I'm trying to debate whether or not a name and shame is ISP. You know what? I'm going to. Eclipse Internet. <laughs> it is not okay to not make it possible for your end customer to go and change the Wi-Fi password. Oh, really? They're not allowing you to change your Wi-Fi. They hard-code it. They hard, they hard-code it and they've, they don't provide the admin credentials for their box. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that's something that definitely should be changed. So what we do when we install you know, any type of router firewall in somebody's house, we disable the functionality to the ISPs modems. So in Canada, we only have two major ISPs, Bell and Rogers, and they allow you, for the most part, uh, to bypass. Mm-hmm. So we're just really getting our IP from them, and then we're doing everything else within our own router. And that would be my preference as well. And so for people in the UK, obviously in the US, you guys, uh, well, you're in Canada, so you've got your two ISPs, but for our US friends, um, your mileage may vary. Uh, I think, am I correct, Cody, that what people should be looking for is um, either something like modem only or bridge mode? Yeah, so you'd want to have some sort of bridge mode or just to be able to completely bypass. You might Sometimes you could just take out their equipment altogether. It depends on the type of connection that's coming into your house. If it's a coax connection, usually you need their modem. If it's a fiber optic, um, you usually can pass that, but it all it's, it's specific to the ISP. So here in the UK, uh, for those interested, if you are with Virgin Media, uh, who are our cable provider, uh, there's super hubs. You can, uh, at time of recording, you can put those into modem-only mode, and that's what I've done for my parents' deployment. Um, they're using, so I've replaced those. Now, I've put them in mesh, consumer mesh Wi-Fi, uh, mostly because my dad, being a northerner, would not spend the money on ubiquity gear. So we got <laughs> them. We got them TP-Link Deco M5s. We got them a free pack of M5s because of not so much the size of the house, but the layout of the house. They needed a free pack. And it was, you know, it was ridiculously cheap. They were on offer at £150 for free. Now they are only Wi-Fi 5 for 802.11ac, but they work. Uh, for VDSL, so for fiber to the cabinet connections, uh, such as, for example, in my case, Vodafone. You know what? I just recommend buying it. If you can get one on eBay, which you can for about £20, get one of the BT OpenReach uh, white modems. If your ISP will provide you with a PPOE connect- connection details, do that and then use your own router. And for fiber to the property stuff, typically you can just use whatever router you want. Um, I know my friend's got GigaClear. I think it's, yeah, GigaClear fiber. And he's literally just plugged his existing router into the Ethernet port on the optical network terminator thingy. Oh, yeah. And that, that's the I, that's how I have it set up here. And it's just going right into my UDMSE. That's the best way to do it. But sometimes you don't have that option. So, uh, some ISPs completely lock you out, like the one you were speaking of. It's bad. Now, I mean, unfortunately, this poor lady that I'm helping support, because of a mess of broadband over here, would you believe in 2022 she lives on a main road, not far outside of, of um, a major town, she can only get ADSL 2 speeds. Oh, wow. Yeah. Whereas yeah, that, that's not good. Crazy. It's absolutely ridiculous. 
and she wonders why her Zoom calls are so unstable. Yeah, for the, you probably want a decent connection to be able to d- be on Zoom calls. Even uh, like now coming with Starlink, if you don't have good internet, Star- Starlink's not available everywhere in the world no. yet, but it is going to be a competitor in the market. People were thinking like, what Starlink can be used for? Everybody has internet you know, to their house, but they don't. Most of the world doesn't. No. So getting to those remote places is going to be great. Uh, we service a couple farms that are about... Uh, I don't know, 10 minutes away from me from a city that has fiber optics running in it. And they have a wireless ISP that gives them about five megabits per second download. Wow. And that's it. They can't, that's their max speed. So with Starlink, you're looking at between 120 to 300 megabits per second at a fairly decent rate per month. It's not bad. You know, it's $100 a month, but compared with what they're probably paying for the WISP. Yeah, they pay more than that. They oh. pay about uh, close, like 160 This is Canadian, mind right. you, $160 a month, which is, uh, so they're, they'd be paying roughly around the, the same price for Starlink for, you know, 20 times the speed. Which is incredible. We got to that point, you know, and we're now seeing, you know, obviously to take a slight tangent, we're now seeing Starlink getting deployed as the Wi-Fi, as I say, it's one of my pet peeves, people saying, oh, my Wi-Fi has gone out. No, your internet has gone out. <laughs> That's Yeah, exactly, yep. Your Wi-Fi is probably absolutely fine. Well, maybe. But the internet provider for a lot of um, air carriers, you know, I think, is it JetBlue who've just, an, it's one of the major US carriers have just announced Starlink as their, their partner. For their oh, really? In-flight yeah, Wi-Fi. I, I, I don't follow Starlink too closely. I was going to buy one, but I have, yeah, I have two internet connections hard cabled into the house. So I, you know, for me, it would just be testing and doing some videos on. Um, but they, I think they were testing it out for planes. Yeah. For incredible. Starlink to have service the whole way. Yeah, that's awesome. I do. I, a friend of mine, I don't know if he still got it. I'll find out tomorrow because I'm, I'm uh, recording with him tomorrow. Um, he did get Starlink because he didn't think he'd be able to get fiber to the property at his new, his new home, but turns out they have. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So let, let's talk about home. Um, so replacements for, you know, for your average home user who's maybe not into home labbing. Ubiquity's USG, okay, it has some problems, but one thing I think not frustrates me, but the one thing I'd love to see the guys at uh, NetGate come out with or do is lower the price point on that SG1100. Yeah, the SG1100 is uh, fairly expensive, even to to come here. Like if you're in the United States, I think it's not too bad, but when we order it into Canada, it's about three hundred dollars uh, Canadian crazy for what it is, which is a, for what it is because you're not if you have a gigabit speed. Coming into your house, you're not getting over 500 megabits per second. No. Um, it just throttle, throttles it out. And I have a couple SG 1100s. They're great devices, very compact, but the price point is just insane. And that's where. So obviously, we we've mentioned you've mentioned TP Link Commanders. We've mentioned the Decos. Now you, I mean, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, but pre-show you saying you do have TP Link provided you some Decos to test, and you. Uh, actually, so I did test them. Oh, okay. I did a video on them. They they work well. It's just I don't I have no need for a mesh system in my house, which they worked well. And for somebody who can't, I always say if you could physically cable and access points, mm-hmm. do it. You're gonna have a much better experience. Is once you start putting mesh in, it limits your Wi-Fi throughput. Right. Um, each hop cuts your Wi-Fi by about fifty percent. So that's why we don't recommend mesh. But if you are going with mesh, the decos aren't bad. They they worked well. Uh, and they will give you connection. And it's certainly, is it fair to say, because this is probably a question a lot of people will have, why should I get mesh when I can just buy 
from, you know, the local electronic store, a Wi-Fi extender. Uh, the Wi-Fi extenders are, they just don't work well. I, I, I haven't installed one in years. The mesh, I mean, the mesh points are primarily a Wi-Fi extender, but you're able to do channel selection. Most of them you can do separate VLAN, so you have a bit of security. Uh, the extenders you're plugging, they're, you know, PoE extenders, or not PoE, sorry, you're plugging them into your power. Yeah power port mm-hmm. to extend your wi-fi and it they the signal and the antennas in them just aren't good so it's worth you know if you if you can't justify the cost of a unified system and we're going to talk a little bit about why that might have changed um but you know tp links decos i have this is coming from personal experience i've deployed multiple deco m5s now look they are wi-fi 5 the m5s so if you want, you probably should be thinking Wi-Fi 6 and made their X range is their Wi-Fi 6 stuff. And it's really quite nice. Um, I think, did you say yeah. you got the, it was the X99 you got sent over? Uh, I forget what, it was the AX3000, I think okay. it was. Nice. The 3000, yeah. And they, they worked well. It had a very easy to deploy interface. So if you're not tech savvy, you just need to download the app and you could have it set up in minutes. As a testament to that, my mother, who is in her 60s, and look, you know, she does okay, but she, she didn't grow up with technology. You know, she did um, what we call in the UK a clate IT course back in the early 90s with five and a quarter inch floppy disks. So, <laughs> you know, she has, that's my mum's basis of IT. My mum can manage that network. She can, if my nephew's listening to this, you didn't hear this from your uncle, but I made it so that my parents can pause so all of his devices are grouped you know, to to him as a a, a you uh, kind of a device user and making okay, support yep. his internet. If he's- yeah, it's good for. I mean, I think they do have some sort of content filtering on there. Mm-hmm. You could put um, users into specific groups. So you could shut off their Wi-Fi. So if you aren't too tech savvy, you want to put your kids. Say if you have kids on the kids network and you want to shut them off at a certain time at bedtime. Yeah. Well, you could easily do that. Absolutely. But going beyond these, you know, these mesh solutions, and, uh, you know, I think I've said many times on the show, I definitely don't recommend Netgear Orbi. I've had such, it just the interface, honestly, it sucks. But for me, and, and probably for you, I mean, you obviously, because of your business, you are, you have a full unified deployment at home. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Cody, even your cat's little outdoor space now has more networking than most people's homes. It does, and I I did have a lot of people mention on the video that, you know, it's a waste of network gear that I have out there. So I have a catio, which is just a place for my cats to go outside safely, and they can't run away. And I have a couple uh, PoE cameras in there. I have an access point, um, and I have a switch. So now I could watch them when when I'm not outside with them. I could watch them and see what they're doing. And, I mean, people people are extending their Wi-Fi into their yards. It's not an uncommon thing. This was just my scenario. No, I think you know a lot of you know a lot of uh, some of Chris's videos have been him helping people, you know, get Wi-Fi out into the yards. Particularly as we're all working more at home, you know, be able to sit outside with a nice cup of coffee in the morning and catch up on your work email without having, absolutely you know the dreaded Wi-Fi signal drop. Um, yeah, I mean, and and you need that. Like, it, it, depending on where you live in the world, um, our our place is just, our homes are just brick and drywall, but some other places will have lots of stone. So you need to have an access point outside. Yeah. Going beyond, you know, the sort of mesh systems, previously you, you said you probably would have put in, a, you know, one of the smaller USGs. 
But Unify recently came out of early access, and I think everyone was unfortunately very disappointed with the early access pricing didn't stick. But Unify just released the Unify Dream Router. Now, this thing, at its price point, well, do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Because I, I mean, every time I look at this thing, I have to admit, I start drooling. Yeah, so I believe, let me just pull up the price point. It is a very good, it was very uh, well-priced when it was in EA, but they couldn't, I knew they couldn't keep it at that price. I'm not too sure if we're allowed to say what it is. Um, but for the price that it is right now, for a home Wi-Fi, it has Wi-Fi built in. It has a router built in. It has threat protection. It has a switch built in. It has power over Ethernet ports if you want to extend um, with a couple other access points. You could put cameras on it. And it's priced at $199 US. Um, for that price point, for everything jam-packed, is great. And it comes with a Wi-Fi 6 access point. So this is a question I asked you pre-show, and it's just to try and understand. So obviously, we've had this whole shift in how, thankfully, we've named Wi-Fi. I, it's the one thing I do agree on is using Wi-Fi 5, Wi-Fi 6. It, it's a lot easier to understand. But in a home environment... What would you say are the benefits of Wi-Fi 6? Is it is it actually going to give you any more speed, or is it merely to enable those of us who have a lot of devices or have a lot of people in our homes with a lot of devices? Because, you know, if you're, say, a family of four, that's potentially, let, let's, let's say, that's potentially at least three devices each. Yeah, so uh, Wi-Fi 6 and Wi-Fi 5, depending, you need to make sure that you have a Wi-Fi 6 chipset for it to work. So most Apple iPhones, the newer generations, will have it, your Macs. Uh, a lot of the gear that's coming out these days, if you're buying it new, will support Wi-Fi 6. Will it give you faster speed? It will, but Wi-Fi 6 is really made for those high-density environments. Well, a lot of people are all about speeds. They want to see that they have 700 megabits per second download. For me and for when I'm deploying out businesses, we want to make sure that our Wi-Fi is stable. I don't care how how fast it is. We want to make sure that they're getting emails through and important work and file transfers and all of that. Um, but I could see for home users, they want to be able to watch Netflix <laughs> even faster, which I mean, for, for a 4K video, you're looking at about 20 megabits per second anyway. So you're never going to max that out depending on your ISP connection. Um, it really is for high density. So it, is it worth it? Wi-Fi 6 is the new thing. So if you're looking at purchasing new gear, go with the Wi-Fi 6. It's a little bit harder to get than Wi-Fi 5 because it's the brand new thing and everybody's wanting it. But again, with the Dream Router. Now this, so this is an interesting one because it feels like it's it's now, have they discontinued the, Dream, the original Dream Machine? They haven't and I have had some customers ask me that. I don't think they will. Um, just because they have to support the life cycle. They have a, at least a two-year warranty on these okay. when you buy it directly through Ubiquity. So the Dream Machine is two ninety-nine. Mm. The uni- uh, The Dream Router is 199 The Dream Machine you only could use as a network controller. The Dream Router you could use as a network. You could use it as a protect, uh, talk, or access controller. You could only use two at a yeah. time. But it's still it's a hundred dollars less, and you get four more con- or uh, three more controllers. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Typically, that means in reality, because you're probably or unless you've already got a network controller, Unify network controller, you're only really going to be able to run one other thing. So be that protect, which is very, exactly uh, yeah. So you you could you have to always, on the Dream Router, you have to run Unify network. So you could either choose protect access or talk to run okay. with it. And I think they'll eventually push over uh, a new thing called UID. But I think if you have a dream router, 
you're not going to be you're not running UID. You want something a little more powerful. No, it's interesting because, and again, you know, the, the Dream Router has those two PoE. Now they are eight or two dot eleven AF. No, eight or two. It's not eleven, is it? It's eight or two. They're they're just uh they're PoE plus or they're eight or two dot three AF. That's yep, it. that's correct. Yep. So they will. So you power- can't power too much off of it, right? But it, no. it does give you the ability to power a. I think I was powering a couple G four cameras off of it. Yeah, um, and an access hub. And and one thing that I love that Ubiquiti released recently, and I deployed in um, a previous role, is their Flex Mini V's five-port PoE-powered gigabit switches, which you can get a five-pack of for about, this was obviously UK pricing, for about £100. Oh, for the, yes. So those little Flex switches are awesome for behind uh, TV units. Mm-hmm. They don't have any PoE out, but they have a PoE in, or they use a USB-C, depending on, uh, you know, where you are in the world, but they, they're great switches. They're fully managed switches. So you could, you know, span across your VLANs to it. If you have an internet of things VLAN, that's the majority of devices that will probably connect to it because it will be by your TV unit, I would assume. And, and that's something we haven't really mentioned. You know, we, and this is on me, I'm assuming people know why Ubiquity is such a good platform. It's a managed network system. Now, traditionally, when you talk about managed networking, when you look at, you know, your experience obviously being in Cisco, these, you know, Cisco managed products and certainly some, you know, HP Enterprise, for example, I've worked on a HP Enterprise switch. Let's be really honest, they are not the most user-friendly interfaces. No, so they aren't. Aruba, I guess that's HP, I mean, they own it. it they are getting better with their instant online, but that's towards more small business. You wouldn't typically see, the, you could see it in-house, it's fairly reasonably priced, but something like Cisco, you are, for the majority, you're doing it by command line interface. So if you don't know how to program, you're not going to be setting up your network at all. No. Um, you can, you can, but they do have some switches that are, uh, they have a GUI interface, but they really are difficult. Whereas at Ubiquity, you create a VLAN, it kind of just trunks to everywhere, and then you select the port that you want on that VLAN in a drop down menu, and it will push you there. And the whole idea is that everything is managed. So your access, so your Wi Fi access points, you can say, okay, these Wi-Fi, this Wi-Fi access point over here, I, I want you to deploy these Wi-Fi networks. And that's kind of a step up from, say, a consumer-grade network is that your guest network can be a true isolated guest network. And you hinted at IoT networks. In an ideal world, you don't want, you know, your Chromecasts or your smart TV. Again, depending on the brand of smart TV, you definitely don't want that, be able to interact with your home network, your actual machines. Exactly. So with with the managed uh, platform, Ubiquity or whoever, you want to separate your networks by virtual network, and it's a security boundary. So you have your IoT on a completely separate network than your, you know, than your Unify Gear. So we don't know where these IoT devices are talking back to, which servers they're communicating with. We don't want that to cross into our management network and take control. If they did get in through our IoT, that's the only place they could go. They are sandboxed within my IoT network. Exactly. And of course, you know, as as we said, you've got the ability to configure multiple Wi-Fi networks. One of the things I love is how easy Ubiquiti make it to limit the speed on your guest network. Now, this is going to sound like, you know, very, you know, old, grumpy old man. But but if I've got my guests coming over, I'm, suddenly, I'm putting a northern, <laughs> sorry, northern England. If I've got friends coming over, and, you know, maybe the same for a couple of days. And I'm trying to work. I've got a big Zoom call. 
But the last thing I want is my friend in the other room streaming 4K Netflix and down and, and impacting my day to day, you know, work. And exactly. And you can yep. create bandwidth profiles very easily. You know, Ubiquiti's interface, they've got wonderful mobile apps. Um, you know, in previous roles, I've been able to, you know, someone had a problem connecting. I was able to say, oh, someone's unplugged. Because I could tell very clearly someone's possibly unplugged a patch cable from a switch. Turns out someone had, without telling anyone, and this person's desk port had been unplugged from a switch. Their user interface has come a long way. I still find myself switching between the classic and their new UI. Uh, but from their their phone app, it's gotten really good. I typically don't set up networks with my phone. I, ju- I just don't find it super... Uh, it's a lot quicker for me to set up networks with my computer. But to get the network started up and running, say you have a UDR, UDM Pro, UDM SE, whichever, uh, it, it is so straightforward, anybody could do it. And y- you could have it working in probably five minutes. Absolutely. It must certainly be my experience. If you want more control of your network, then what a consumer-grade Wi-Fi system or router can provide it's time to start looking at ubiquity now. Would you say it's for, for for most home users who maybe don't need complicated firewall rules, who aren't home labbers, that ubiquity's firewall products? So again, we're looking at UDR and maybe the cheaper USGs. Would you say they are sufficient for that scenario? Because I know one of the things that Tom at Lawrence Systems is very much a believer in is that ubiquity's router products are not necessarily the right fit for every business? Uh, it, it honestly depends on the business needs. So there are a few things that they still don't have, which in the latest update that they just pushed out last week for the UDMSE anyway, um, you could do. So there's something called policy-based routing. If we have a, say we have an IoT network and we have two wire, or we have two ISP connections, mm-hmm. now we could say that the IoT goes through my WAN 2. Right. And then my voice network goes at WAN 1. So that was a big thing that was missing. Uh, another thing that was missing is the ability to assign multiple public IPs to the to the UDMs or any of the unified network consoles. And we, we could do that for a month. The only thing that I see really missing now is doing whole home VPN through uh, a subnet. So if you have a kids network and you want to push that through, say, NordVPN mm-hmm. all the time, 24 hours, you can't do that. Which is fine. I mean, I personally, I would never do that. And if I need to use a privacy VPN, I would just have the client on my computer. But I mean, but and that's where things like PFSense come in. Now, look, if you are a home labber, um, you know, you can go and get. I mean, I'm looking at doing something similar. Um, you can get, you know, older PCs because PFSense will run on quite a lot of hardware. Uh, and again, unfortunately, yep. there's not that real affordable NetGate official. Because they have some great devices, like they're new. To, I mean, I deployed a twenty one hundred, an SG twenty one hundred to my yep. to my last role. Great for anything. Again, it all depends on your needs and the speed of your incoming connection and how many incoming connections you have. But great devices. Oh yeah, PF sensors. Uh, we use PF sense quite a bit. I have a sixty one hundred here. Uh, we've deployed a twenty one hundred. We've done sixty one hundreds in high availability. Uh, they had the 3100s. They discontinued that. I think they started pushing out the 4100 for that. Yeah. Haven't tested that yet. But if you want more control and if you want to be able to see like what firewall rules and the logs are actually hitting, then the PF sense is probably for you because Ubiquity's logging isn't the best. 
Uh, so if you had a block rule, you're not going to be able to see who's hitting that. But the nice thing is, because this is all based on standard stuff, if you do go PFSense for your router, you can still very happily use every other part of a unified system, access points. Yeah. You just need a network controller. Yeah. Unless I'm mistaken, you, you can still run a unified controller off a Raspberry Pi. You can. So there, there are limitations. You have to always look at how many devices could be on that. So most cases, when we're dis- deploying PFSense, PFSense is our firewall, and then we're deploying unified switches and access points and cameras and whatever. Um, and they work amazing together. Mm. It would be great if they U- Ubiquity and PFSense or NetGate teamed up and created a product together. That would be... You know, that would be a great goal to have, or they bring someone else over from the PFSense team to make their firewall, you know, where it should be. To solve all those um, little nitty, yeah. nitty gritty issues that just yeah. sometimes rule out PFSense, uh, sorry, rule out Unify as a, as a whole solution. But we, we use you know, uh, Ubiquity in a lot of uh, small to mid sized businesses, uh, d- depending, again, depending on their needs, because Ubiquity currently doesn't offer high availability yeah. either. So if we, we have our dream machine, fail well that's it whereas you could stack two netgate boxes your primary fails it goes to your secondary and your internet's still up and and again that's you know but ubiquity have really done i I think my viewpoint on ubiquity is they seem to have made certainly small business and medium-sized business networking much more friendly and much more accessible you don't need to be a ccie cisco ccie to set up a network now um, you still want to have network theory and background knowledge because troubleshooting, you need to have that no matter what. But it, it is, it's very, very straightforward to get a network up and running. Uh, one thing that people complain about a lot with Ubiquity and their firewall rules is they leave it to any, any open. So if you create a network, it could see everything. Right. But that's fixed by one firewall rule. It's very block RFC 1918 to 1918. And it, it's very, fairly straightforward to do. Watch my, one of my videos if you need to know how. And uh, I think it's a solid product, and I'm going to continue to sell it. Let's let's move on a little bit. And before we get accused of um, shilling for Ubiquity, which we have, Ubiquity, Ubiquity have no involvement in this uh, podcast episode whatsoever. I wish we did, because I could ask them for a UDR. Um, <laughs> you know. But let's talk a little bit about some of the, the fun things we've experienced, because you know, as I said, I my background is IT support. I've done a lot, but I've done you know a few network deployments. I, I mean, I'll I'll start with my my favourite one, which was in my last role. We had we just had our internet upgraded to a two hundred meg symmetric leased line, and our, on our MD's like, we're only getting a hundred. Why? And I said, oh, I'm not sure. Let me let me have a look. Like, okay. And I started. I looked at my machine. I'm like, "Hang on a second. That's only a hundred megabit link." And I went through the network. So they'd had someone leave who didn't really know what they were doing with networking. And for some reason, every single switch in this business which provided IT services was a hundred megabit switch. Oh yeah, I've I've run into that a lot. It, it, it is hard to, tr- well, it's not hard to troubleshoot. Just make sure you go to the switch and it's over a gig or it's a gigabit or yeah. above. But that's the type of issues that could, you, you could be ripping your hair out trying to figure it out. Why are we only getting a hundred meg connection when we're paying for more? Or, you know, your switches just need to be upgraded. And we did. We ripped out, I think I ripped, I think I built a pile of something like, I think eight 
a hundred meg switches, which got replaced with a US USW twenty four port POE. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, great device. And then five um, flex minis deployed around. Oh, missiles. that's perfect. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're all gigabit. I mean, nowadays the standard you're not going to be. You probably aren't pushing out hundred megabit uh, switches anymore. They do sell them. You could still get mm-hmm. them, uh, you know, from any vendor, but you probably aren't going to be pushing those to your clients anymore. No, I guess we only play. I mean, I guess you you could legitimately use those in VoIP applications, where it yeah, true, true. You know, a VoIP just a VoIP phone system because uh, unless I'm mistaken, mo- so certainly for Polycom, most of them only hundred megabit ports. I mean, interestingly, I didn't realize this. My fourth gen Apple TV is still only a hundred megabit Ethernet. Well, there there still is a lot of devices, like especially IoT devices, mm. you're going to find hundred meg or even ten, yeah, ten meg. Um, some I or some PoE thermostats, things like that, you'll find it has a hundred meg. Your TVs, most most of them now, newer generation TVs are gigabit connections, but there is still a lot of hundred meg uh, devices. You look at, I'm going to use Ubiquity again. But G3 models of their cameras, they're all 100. Oh, really? There's no, I mean, their pro might be one gig. So bumping, I mean, you could just use a full switch. If you had 24 cameras that were all just 100 meg, why would you pay extra for that gigabit? You could save yourself a bit of money. Absolutely. And I'm sure I've seen that in, in deployments. It's interesting because, of course, you, you know, Ubiquiti do a lot more than just the switches. They do the cameras. You know, for, for a home setup, I know, I know you use Protect. I did see. Going back to something we talked about on a previous episode of the show, I did see that Homebridge does have a Unifying Protect plugin to allow you to... I see, I've seen that. I'm not into home automation or the Homebridge too much, but I have watched a few um, creators and they have pushed it to Homebridge. And a lot of people wish their uh, the ecosystem wasn't so closed off so that we could integrate it with maybe you know our Google Home Hubs or... You know, things like that, whichever product you use, maybe the, the Amazon product. And I, I wish that as well so that I could see it on my, my displays in my kitchen. Um, it would work great. You can stream the RTSP streams, but it doesn't work nearly as well as an integrated application. But we are, you know, we are still great pillars. So, but anyway, I guess what, I mean, we sort of talked about this a bit pre-show, but what would you say is maybe some of the stranger things or, I mean, I know you've got a recent video. Where a customer wondered why none of her computers would work over wired. Yeah, so that was uh, probably about a month ago. I did this video, released released the video. I went to a customer's site. Um, none of their printers were working. Their computers weren't working off of Ethernet. They did have Wi-Fi, but that was just off the ISP's modem. Uh, it turned out that the installer, he was a phone installer, he was near retirement. Uh, he didn't know much about network. So I punched down all the cables on the patch panel and then plugged in one printer to the patch panel, but didn't realize that he needed a network switch. So your network switch, you need that to give everything internet. And that was the reason why their internet wasn't working well, or it wasn't working at all to any of their PCs hard cabled. So we went in there and it was a pretty, it was a pretty big mess. Went in there, ripped out all of what they installed and put in a new rack switch, a firewall and so on. So and a wireless access point and deleted the ISP's Wi-Fi. I like that. Other than that, yeah, I mean, there are some scenarios that you go into and it's just, it is a rat's nest of cables. We we usually go into businesses and we do makeovers of their network room. 
And, I mean, I guess that's maybe a question. Do you find much resistance from business owners coming back and saying, why do I need good networking? Why do I need good Wi-Fi when I can just get by with this cheap little thing I've bought from Best Buy or uh, the Canadian... Tim Hortons don't sell Wi-Fi, do they? (laughs) No, no, they don't. They don't. No, no. So, yeah, I mean... That's a good question, but most of the businesses are contacting us after they bought that stuff because they realize that they don't work too well. Um, And then we put in a business solution for them and they're extremely happy. There's things with Wi-Fi like interference, channel overlap that people don't take into account. And if your Wi-Fi is not working well, you're going to have a terrible experience. You can't, you're going to end up losing money with your business if your internet doesn't perform. Absolutely, because time, you know, time is money. If your staff are struggling to get to the, the sites and to the services they need to, especially in this world of, every, you know, when we look at, I don't, I don't know what your experience has been, but my experience has been the vast majority of businesses now have moved away from on-prem exchange and on-prem SharePoint to Office 365 or have gone to Google or some other cloud service. Yeah, yeah, we're we're that way. We're we're that way as well. Like uh, we're everything's moving over to majority of it is to the cloud. We still see some people with on-prem servers, uh especially for uh we do have a couple high-end studios that, you know, do large file transfers. Mm. So they'll have on-site because there's no way they're going to be transferring that to the cloud. No, if you're moving, um, you need to move data around yeah. your local network, then you're looking at some sort of NAS solution or you know some home absolutely homebrewed um you know windows file server now does, uh, I, I should clarify as well just as a little uh, joke but despite the mac in your company name you are not a mac user you are a windows guy i am i am a windows person i was gonna buy one of the new macs but then i saw the price tag <laughs> um i was gonna use it for my video editing and doing some music stuff but it uh I almost, I almost did, but it was like six or seven thousand dollars, and you know, it it just wasn't. My Windows does well for what I need, and the majority of my end users or my clients, they're Windows users as well. Uh, I didn't realize how many Mac users there. You know, there's tons of Mac users in the world, and now I've learned it a little bit better. But of course, you know, these days, thankfully, gone are the days where you had to have Mac specific networks. Uh, and networking protocols gone of the days of Apple Talk, where you know a modern macOS machine plays very nicely in a Windows network, has no problem with modern, you know, modern networking standards. Um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, which is which is great because now we don't need to build out two different networks for Windows and one one for Mac. Yeah. I prefer Windows still. I can see some advantages of Macs, but I find that the Mac is more for um, artistic things or like doing graphic design yeah. movie editing but you know I, the other reason i you know just to say the reason i use mac os is because i've got a fully featured unix kernel underneath my operating system now obviously with windows subsystem for linux that's a lot easier f- f- these days but i just love having you know everything that i need all my standard networking tools just available to me on oh absolutely on yeah, I, I I've just worked with Windows so long that it's it's been. I tried to switch one of my laptops over to Linux. It didn't work well for me. 
I need, I need, I need to learn it a little bit more. I need to take uh, some notes from Tom. And uh, I was going to say we because he, we he he works on Linux. Do we need to get Tom to come and st- come and visit and like give you a you know a crash course in? He probably should. I have watched uh, some of Learn Linux TV. Mm. He's he's does very great videos on Linux. I think he's uh, written a few books as well. It's just finding the time to learn it. Learn it better anyway than I do now. So before we before we wrap up, because thank you so much for your time. It's been really insightful, and it's been great to share some of those experiences. And hopefully, it's given people an idea of you know sort of where. I think our first piece of advice is maybe don't throw it in the bin because typically it's rented, but definitely replace that ISP router if you can. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I th- I think that if your budget allows it, go with. Uh, Anything ubiquity, I will always push that out. But if if it doesn't, you know, you could get the decos, yeah. they're great, or you could go a little higher end with the TP-Link Amada, and it's their interface is pretty much identical to ubiquities, where it's very simple to set up. They did a bit of a copy paste, but they you could look up online for uh, management network management cutouts, uh, and you could you could find it. It's pretty much you you buy it and put it in your platform, and it works. But the TP-Link, it works very well, and their their price is pretty much half the cost of Ubiquity. Absolutely. And, and they, you know, the decent enough TP-Link's gear is, is decent enough. I've used some a lot of their switches in, in the past. They do some decent little gear. Yeah. So if people are wanting to, you know, we talked about that. Although you don't have to be a network certified engineer to set up a network, it's always good to be able to troubleshoot what's going on in your network. Where would you point people towards to learn more, to get a foundation of networking uh, beyond your videos, of course? Yeah, so my videos don't go too much into theory. Um, whereas you, if you're really looking to learn networking, I don't think you need certifications, but certifications really do help out with that base knowledge. The Cisco CCNA has changed a whole lot since I did it. They've put in automation and a bunch of different things. It would be their first CSENT course would be very good to learn, you know, basic network troubleshooting, um, layer one, which would be your physical, so cabling. Uh, Really watch YouTube is a great platform to learn anything you want. You want to make sure that it's from a trusted source and they're telling you the correct information, but either the CCNA or um, uh, CompTIA Mm. Network Plus would be a great start. What's your take on Network Chuck's videos? I I really like Network Chuck. I think he's he's great. He does a lot of... um, I, I don't know what to say about him. He just does really fun videos. Very engaging. He doesn't go they? super and they are engaging, not super in depth. But Network Truck used to be a tra- or trainer and maybe he still is on CBT Nuggets. And CBT Nuggets is a v- video series where I learned my CCNA. Oh, wow. I'm more of a visual mm. learner than I am reading a textbook. So we would go through labs and stuff like that. And that's where he started out and then brought. I think, I think his videos are great. Uh, you know, he does a lot of fun things and yeah, I, I would definitely recommend him. I think it may be not for the theory part, but he, he does, he does teach you some things. Absolutely. I think he did quite a, you know, a, a low level CCNA stuff. And I think he got his, I think he got his daughters involved in making network cables as a demonstration to show how easy, well, relatively speaking, it actually is. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you could really learn anything off YouTube. He does, he does a whole, he does a ton of different videos. Uh, Udemy, they are also a, a pretty good resource. David Bomble, he's very good. He just did a CCNA course, I believe, on Udemy. And Udemy is fairly um, easy on the wallet. It doesn't cost you too much to get these courses. Whereas something like CBT Nuggets, you're paying about $100 US a month. 
Yeah. And, and of course, you know, if you're in an IT role and you want to, maybe you're in an IT support, a first-line technician role, and you want to learn more networking, maybe go and have that conversation with your, your supervisor and say, hey, can my business help me to learn? Yeah. And don't turn away free certifications or courses. Any, any course you can or that you're interested, I would take. I was put on a ton of VMware stuff, Cisco stuff, uh, you know, you name it, cabling stuff, Bixie, all of that, and they pay for it. That's thousands of dollars worth of training that you could take with you after you leave the company. Absolutely. And, you know, and people have fun with your home networks. Look, you know, don't become, the, I mean, I've made this mistake. I've become the, you know, the IT guy at home when I was still living with my parents who would take the network down without telling game one. Be considerate of your family <laughs> when you're playing with... Or have a different ISP connection, separate ISP connection. Oh, to, just for your... To, to play yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think the main thing is, for for me anyway, it wasn't it wasn't the books. It was getting my hands on physical equipment mm-hmm. and breaking things. Yeah. Breaking the things, learning how to uh, fix it. And that's where your knowledge really helps out because books will only go so far. If you're in a situation in work, your network goes down, you need to figure out as quick as possible how to troubleshoot that and get it up and running. Absolutely. And you will be a hero. Um, you know, just like all of those wonderful people, and I'm sure, Cody, you've had a few jobs like this, you know, pandemic time. Oh my gosh, we've just gone into lockdown, but we need remote access to this very specialist on-prem server. You now yep. have two days to get a VPN up and running. Oh yeah, I, that's, we saw that a lot of that during the pandemic because and you we had to stand up new firewalls to support mm. the amount of vpn connections that were going to be incoming to it i mean that's something i did in you know in a in a previous role is it was as i think i mentioned it pre-show is my first unified deployment we had a draytech router now nothing against draytechs but its vpn solution was appalling it couldn't handle um split tunnels and when you have a Business, you know, was typically all in the office, but the internet connection was only VDSL 70 down, 20 up. Well, it's the 20 part that becomes important because that's what your remote workers are going to, that's the maximum output from that server to them. And if you don't have a split tunnel VPN, all of their internet traffic goes through that 20 megabits. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yep. It's, uh, the whole network infrastructure changed over the last two years. And then people were realizing why you need your network engineers. So it's if you're wanting to get into it, I think now is even even pre-pandemic, it was a good time to start looking into. Um, it's an exciting role. You may it's stressful at times, and a lot of beginner roles are usually uh, you could be asked to work on call mm-hmm. shifts, which may be stressful as well. But as long as you keep continuing to learn, which in IT you need to, because technology changes so much. Absolutely. So, Cody, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, where can, if people want to find your YouTube content or actually you know, reach out and, and hire you for some consultancy, where can people go? Yeah, so thanks for having me. They could find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Networks. If they'd like to hire me, they could go to mactelecomnetworks.com, find me on Twitter at mactelecomn, and then we have an Instagram account at mactelecomnetworks. Excellent. And uh, is it, are, are we, again, can cut this, are we okay to uh, to mention the Discord? Your Discord? No, yeah. Oh, my Discord. Uh, I don't actually know the link okay. to it, but I do have a Discord. So <laughs> you could uh, go, if you go under any any one of my videos, there'll be a, you could find the link to my Discord. And that's just an open forum where people could ask whatever questions they want. 
Um, even if you don't know anything, any question goes there and we'll try our best to help you out. Definitely ubiquity bias in, in, um, in the Discord, but it's... You know what? It's, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's, it's ubiquity bias, but there's a bit of everything oh, yeah. in there. Thank you everyone for listening. You can find our YouTube channel over at crosswires.net forward slash YouTube until we get big enough to get that nice vanity URL. Um, if you like the content, please do subscribe and like over there. If you like this episode, please do leave a comment in the show notes over at crosswires.net. You can email us at podcast at crosswires.net and we're on Twitter at crosswiresmg. Uh, thank you everyone and we'll be back for another episode next week. Music